Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone, those that are in the United States and around the world, um, in various time zones. Shalom, peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program has been on the Internet air uh, since uh, the latter half of uh, 2007. And for those who are listening to me for the first time, a little disclaimer here. This program is going to be quite different than what you are used to listening to. Um, I quote scriptures after scriptures after scriptures, and I really do hope that you are one of the following here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the uh, Amplify version, uh, for clarity's sake. It says, at that time... The disciples came up and asked Jesus, or Jesus' um, Hebrew name is Yeshua, who then is really the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 2, and he called a little child to himself and put him in the midst or in the middle of them. And in verse 3, and said, truly I say to you, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. And in verse 4, whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in Proverbs 13, verse 10, plainly states that only through pride comes contention. And so we all, from time to time, have a little pride in us, and we need to get rid of that pride. Uh and for those who are listening to me for the first time, uh, the season of Passover is here, and, and it does represent, uh, well, let me turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I will get into the, the bulk of the Bible study today, but uh, I just feel that the Lord is moving me here to talk about Passover here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. And this is in the Amplified Version again. It says, about the condition of your church, your boasting is not good. Indeed, it is most unseemly and entirely out of place. Okay, here we go with boasting, which is uh, derived from arrogance and so forth, thinking too highly of yourself. Do you not know that just a little leaven will ferment the whole lump of dough? Verse 7, purge, clean out the old leaven that you may be fresh. A new dough, still uncontaminated as you are for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So, Christ, or the Messiah, is it represents the Passover. The Passover, that's what it points to, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. 
And for those who doubt that we should not keep this feast, it says in, in verse 8, and this is in your New Testament, okay? Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of vice and malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of purity, nobility, honor, and sincerity, and unadulterated truth. So, obviously, the first century assembly, that's what church really means in uh, Hebraically, assembly uh, where people assemble to worship. And these people can be located uh, around the world. They don't have to be in a church building or under a church corporation um, under a 501c3 designation from the IRS. Uh, basically, what this is telling us is that we need to observe the festival of Passover, uh, just like Yeshua did. Uh, his, his parents observed the Passover. Um, he observed the Passover. He said he kept his father's commandments. Uh, let's turn to John 15 for proof of that. And so that means that we need to do that as well. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love and live on it, just as I obey my Father's commandments and live on his love. And for those who question whether or not we ought to obey those commandments, uh, I challenge you, First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm reading this in the Amplified Version, I write you these things so that you may not violate God's law and sin. Okay, so for people to say, oh, we, we, you know, we don't have to worry about sin anymore because of the shed blood of Christ. Well, <laughs> one of the reasons why he died is to, to give us the ability through the Holy Spirit not to, right? But he says, but if, if anyone should sin, so God is not expecting you to, to have a cycle of sin once you come under the blood of Christ, uh, get immersed or baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. We have an advocate, one who will intercede for us with the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, just, who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose, thought, and action. Verse 2. And he, that same Jesus himself, is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifices, the covering for our sins, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. And James, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 29, it is announced by John the Baptist that, that the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. It says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again, when you go back to the original Passover observance, uh, that's what Yeshua, Jesus, is representing, the Lamb that was slaughtered. And he was that Passover sacrifice. And verse 3, and this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know him, to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with him. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, practice his teachings, precepts, and commandments. One of the things he taught us is to keep uh, his father's commandments. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, I perceive, recognize, understand, and am acquainted with him, but fails to keep and obey his commandments, his teachings, is a liar in the truth of the gospel, or the truth, period. Truth is defined as all the teachings of, of God, and in essence, Psalm 119, verse 142, is not in him. Truth is, as Yeshua prayed to his Father, in John 17, verse 17, he says, Thy word, the Father's word, is truth, which the Father gave to him to reveal to us, and, and, in the form of the Bible, verse 5. But he who keeps treasures his word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his measures in its entirety, Truly in him has the love of and for God been perfected, completed, reached maturity. By this we may perceive, know, recognize, and be sure 
that we are in him. Now, here's the, the scripture I really want to focus on, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought as a personal debt to walk and conduct himself in the same way in which he walked and conducted himself. And so he kept his father's commandments, which one of those commandments is keeping the Passover. And let's turn to First Peter chapter 1. I want you to understand uh, the significance of Passover. And, and I am inviting you, for those who are listening to me, you're being called of God. Many are called, few are chosen. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to uh, provoke you in a, in a righteous way to start to observe the Passover. All right? And First Peter 1, verse 11, I'm going to start there. They sought to find out to whom or when this was to come, which the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Messiah, and uh, the Holy Spirit are synonymous. Uh, working within them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them. Verse 12, it was then disclosed to them that the services that they were rendering were not meant for themselves in their period of time, but for you. It is these very things which have now already been made known plainly to you by those who preach the good news to you by the same Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And to these things the very angels long to look at. So you see that the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are, are actually one and the same. Uh, they're linked with each other. Verse 13, so brace up your minds, be sober, circumspect, morally alert. Set your holy and unchangeably on the grace, divine favor that is coming to you when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is revealed. Verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourself to the evil desires that govern you in your former ignorance where, when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. Verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. Verse 16. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call upon him as your father who judges each one impartially according to what he does, then you should conduct yourselves with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth, whether long or short. Verse 18, you must know, <clears throat> recognize that you were redeemed, ransomed from the useless, fruitless way of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Verse 19, but you were purchased with the precious blood of the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb. Again, it alludes right back to the Passover again, without blemish or spot, because that's when I read Exodus chapter 12 to you, you'll see where we're going with this. Verse 20, it is true that he has chosen and foreordained, destined and foreknown for it before the foundation of the world. In other words, his sacrifice was foreknown. Of course, if Adam sinned, this is what he had planned to do. He was brought out to public view, made manifest in these last days, at the end of the days, end of the times, for the sake of you. Through him you believe in and here to rely on God who raised him up from the dead and gave him honor and glory so that your faith and hope are centered and rest in God. Verse 22, since by your obedience to the truth, what's the truth is the entire instructions of God, the laws of God, through the Holy Spirit, and that's how you do it, through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Messiah, you have purified your hearts, for the sincere affection of the brethren, that you love one another fervently from a pure heart. Okay, so that's what the Passover pictures here. And let's go to Exodus chapter 12, um, verse 3. It says, Tell all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month they shall take every... And let me just give a disclaimer. I know people that listen to me for the first time, you think Israel is the Jews. 
uh, when you look at, or only the Jews, or Judah, and you look at Genesis chapter 49, you have a list of 12 tribes. Uh, Judah is listed as one of those tribes. So there's 12 tribes, and you need to understand that those 12 tribes have been identified in these end times uh, with the help. Well, it, it's, it actually was identified in the, in, the 19, in the 20th century and the early part of the uh, 19th century, and other people have known earlier than that even who those tribes are. But I'm talking about where they migrated today and where they are located today. Uh, go to www.britam.org, www.britam.org, and be enlightened and amazed. Uh, this website uh, is designed by a Orthodox Jew by the name of Yer Davidi. He is preaching the truth or trying to reach the entire uh, world, uh, which is going to be difficult to do, but he has a reach of over 2 billion people like I do, and you know God can perform miracles, but... Uh, He's reaching as many people as possible with the truth that the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, they are part of Israel today. And, of course, the little nation called Israel uh, in the Middle East. So when you see, tell all the congregation of Israel, that's referring to those regions. Plus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it states that uh, we, well, hold your place here. First Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, reading this Amplified Version, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, he's talking to a Gentile congregation here, Shaul or Paul. I want you to understand that. That our forefathers, so he's connecting the brethren. And he's saying that um, the old assembly because that's what congregation means, assembly in Israel, was their forefathers, okay? Were all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and every one of them passed through the Red Sea. Verse 2, and each one of them allowed himself also to be baptized or immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Thus, or they were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses, and to the covenant consecrated and set apart to the service of God. That's how you are holy. Verse 3, And all of them ate the same spiritual, supernaturally given food, and they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the soul power of God himself, and the rock was Christ. So that rock that followed him was Christ. Christ existed before his, uh, his human birth. All right, so when you read the rest of this, it tells you that the things that happened in the wilderness are examples for us today. There are examples for us today uh, to teach us that we should not um, do what they did. And, and verse 11 states of First Corinthians chapter 10, Now these things befell them by way of a figure as an example and warning to us that they were written to admonish and fit us for the right action by good instruction. We in whose days the ages have reached their climax, their consummation, and concluding period. Now, the King James Version has a better translation of this. It says, uh, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So that that's a, certainly a better translation. Let's go back. I'll, I'll stick with the King James now. Exodus chapter 12. It says right here in verse 4, 
And if the house of okay, verse three speaking to all the congregation of Israel, so you should understand who Israel is now, um, in this context. Uh, back then it was certainly not the United States, but I just want you to understand whenever you see Israel, uh, especially in the prophecies, uh, it's referring to those regions today. In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Okay, what what is uh, the Messiah? He's our Passover lamb, right? According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 4, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto the house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Uh, the Messiah was without blemish. He was a male. Uh, of the first year you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Today uh, is, is unique uh, this year to Passover because it lines up with the with the Roman a pagan calendar that uh, we all are familiar with. So um, on the 14th, which is uh, tomorrow, on a Monday, uh, we will uh, to pass over at evening, those who understand it lines up with the Jewish calendar too. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of a, a congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And verse 7, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side post and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. So what does the blood represent? It represents the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Lamb. Okay? And then eight, and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now what does unleavened bread represent? It represents uh, sincerity and truth, keeping the commandments. Verse nine, eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. Verse 10, And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth it until the morning you shall burn with fire. Verse 11, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes and your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, and the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's the Bible interpretation of Passover. It's going to pass over you, and today the blood of the Messiah will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. See, that's what's going to happen. Anybody that doesn't accept the Lord as their Savior, God's going to destroy you. And this is what this prophetically is, is talking about. When I smite the land of Egypt. Verse 14, and this day shall be unto you a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast. Let's keep the feast, right? To the Lord throughout your generation, you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse 15, seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. In the first day, there should be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day, there should be a holy convocation. So this, um, this Tuesday, which uh, you know, the, the day of Tuesday begins Monday evening at sunset, uh, you should not work from Monday sunset to Tuesday sunset. And the seventh day, which is, let me look at my calendar here, the 21st, that's on a Monday, uh, we should also uh, rest from our labors on that day, That's starting a Sunday evening at sunset to Monday evening at sunset. That's the 21st day, 
which is the seventh day of the feast. All right? Uh, it says the first day, the seventh day you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. Okay, verse 16. And the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No man of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Okay, no manner of work shall be done except cooking. That's what it's saying there. Verse 12, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. All right, so this is very important. Uh, this really, Pesach, or that's how you say it in Hebrew, or Passover, begins the great plan of God to redeem and purify all of mankind. That's his goal, although some will choose not to want to be purified. That's why there's a lake of fire. But God's purpose is to redeem mankind through the blood of the Messiah and to, and to teach mankind how to keep his commandments so they could walk with him and, and do what he does because he keeps his own commandments. He's not a hypocrite. Okay, so I hope I explained that to you in a clearer way than... Um, uh, about what the Passover is all about. Uh, some other thing I wanted, some other scripture rather I wanted to quote to you, uh, John chapter six, and this is important because uh, he's he's explaining to you what the Passover symbols mean, uh, the wine and and the bread, and he states here. Uh, in John six verse thirty five, and Jesus says, "And I am the bread of life." He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believe on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And, and all that the Father give me shall come to me. So the Father, another being, draws people to the Messiah. And, and that and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, cast you out. But you can cast yourself out by not sinning. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven. I mean, you can cast yourself out by sinning, rather. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 39, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but shall, should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so... I just wanted to read to you here where he says, um, verse 48 of John chapter 6, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was just talking symbolically here. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, 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 I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's talking about the Passover symbols of wine and the bread, which represents his death, his sacrificial death. Verse 54, Whoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so this is important. Uh, verse 55, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me, and I in him. 
as a, as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, which is a significant statement. He says he lives by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So that's how important we should take uh, the Passover here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he, what he did was help us understand what these symbols mean. And I'm going to go over this here real quick. Matthew chapter 26, uh, he says, in verse yeah, 26, uh, Matthew 26, verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and breast it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Verse 27, He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the new agreement, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And that New Testament or New Covenant is the agreement to keep the command, uh, the, the commandments. It's not the, the, that, he, that he changed the laws. All right, and that's another Bible study. But anyway, I just wanted to, to, to uh, go over the, the Passover because the Passover is coming up soon. And, and for those who really want to do what the Bible tells you to do, well, you have an opportunity now. I've, I've revealed this to you uh, for those who are listening to me that never heard uh, the fact that the Bible reveals we need to keep the Passover. Okay, so um, world news. Let me briefly go over any world news that may have developed that we need to focus on here. I'm going to watch.org here. All right, some bunch of shenanigans going on in, in, the, in the Israeli government. Uh, I don't see how any of it is uh, major. So um, it says Israel blames Kerry as peace talks hope. Hopes fade. So here we go again with this ridiculous uh, trying to have peace when there's no peace. Um, double standard U.S. blast Russia for blocking Voice of America. It says uh, U.S. officials are assailing the Russian government for shutting down Voice of America's radio broadcast in Moscow. In a move that marked a dramatic escalation of the message war between the two governments amid the Ukraine uh, conflict. Uh, we need to be praying for those poor people in the Ukraine. Um, they're, they're going through a lot right now. China's military chiefs lecture to visiting U.S. Defense Secretary. And HHS Secretary Sibelius, I guess that's how you pronounce her last name, resigning on the heels of Obamacare rollout. All right, so uh, let's look at any domestic news that uh, may be significant here. I'll go to the economiccollapseblog.com. And any domestic news, meaning news here in this country, uh, in the United States. It says, 16 signs that most Americans are not prepared for the coming economic collapse. Sometimes I think that I sound like a broken record. Well, you do. I know you do. <laughs> I am constantly using phrases such as, get prepared while you still can and time is running out. In fact, I use them so often that people are starting to criticize me for it. But the truth is that only a small percentage of people out there are actively taking steps to get ready for what is coming. And what is coming? Well, the economic downfall of this country and a lot of other countries around the world. Most of the most of the country is not prepared at all. In many ways, it is like 2007 all over again. There were many people that could see what was about to happen and were doing all they could to warn people, but most did not listen. That's a problem with uh, especially stiff-necked Israelites today. And then the great 
financial crisis of 2008 struck, and millions of people lost their jobs and their homes. Unfortunately, the next great wave of economic collapse is going to be even more painful than the last one. It is imperative that people get prepared for what is on the horizon, but for the most part, it is just not happening because people are just, and it is just, well, everything's going to go the way it is. Eh, it's no big deal. Uh, 16 signs that most Americans are not prepared for the coming collapse. And he did state that as, as a snare shall it come upon all those on the face of the earth in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. And so we need to be prepared. Um, I'm going to quote this Proverbs again. I do quote this frequently on this program, Proverbs chapter uh, 22, verse 3. It says, a prudent man foresees the evil. So right now, I'm telling you, through this uh, guy's wisdom and, and through the Bible, that tough times are coming, folks. It says, a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And then, you know, Yeshua in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, um, he states that, uh, beginning of verse 26, that we're living in the days of Noah, associated uh, the coming of the Son of Man be. And we certainly are living in the days of Noah, the, the beginnings of the days of Noah anyway. And and what did Noah do? Did he just sit around and just wait for God to do everything for him? No. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, he says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen. So we're being warned of God of things not yet seen by through men. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. It doesn't mean that we just focus totally on saving our skins, but we should have a, a balanced approach to this. Uh, sure, God is going to help us. and you know, Psalm chapter 91 is a good psalm to meditate on and read, but still, we, we still have, we should do all we can, too, to save ourselves. That's the example of Noah and also that proverb, realizing that God is going to have to help us anyway. You know, Noah built the ark, but he still needed God's direction, and we're going to still need his direction as well, but he wants us to do all we can. And even FEMA, our government's uh, Department for Emergencies uh, and Catastrophes, tell us to be always prepared for catastrophes. So this is just common sense, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be, get so relaxed that you think nothing's going to happen. In this crazy world, anything can happen at any time, folks. Earthquakes happen just <laughs> at any time. We We can't. I mean, no matter what technology we have, we can't 100% prepare for earthquakes. So anyway, we're going to talk about today Revelation chapter 14 and 15. So let me go to Revelation chapter 14. And so, so far we have um, Revelation chapter 9. When you, when you understand Revelation chapter 9, it talks about all the, the trumpets leading to the sixth trumpet. And then, starting in Revelation chapter 10, it, it gives you um, some more information based on what we've already read. So it's not, some people think the book of Revelation is progressive based on chapters, but it's not. In some chapters, it's like a stop sign. Okay, I want you to reflect on something, and I want to add more detail. And that's what Revelation chapter 10 does. It talks about the little book. The little book, uh, based on biblical interpretation, is a, is a book or scroll uh, talking about <clears throat> something that is sweet as honey but bitter. 
and then when you get down and you when you read this in Ezekiel chapter three too, because the same phraseology almost is, is uh, revealed about uh, eating the scroll. But it's a message that <clears throat> both Ezekiel and John are told that must be preached. A message that is as sweet as honey, which is uh, certainly referring to the gospel. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet as honey message, but it's also bitter because uh, to be able to reach that wonderful kingdom, you're going to have to go through a lot of hard trials. So that's certainly what uh, the message of the scroll is all about. <clears throat> and so uh, in, in Revelation chapter 10, it says also is is preparing you and saying in the days of the voice of the seven angel when he's about to sound the seven trump. And in Revelation chapter 11, it's talking about, it goes back to the start of the tribulation, which was uh, talked about earlier in one of the, the fifth seal. The fifth seal is certainly the tribulation period, uh, back in Revelation chapter 6, the fifth seal. In Revelation chapter 12, uh, again, it's, start, starting, it's talking about an event that will trigger the tribulation. The tribulation is going to be triggered by uh, the abomination of desolation, which is alluded to in Revelation 11, verse 1 and 2, when the whole entire city of Jerusalem is trampled down. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about the devil being kicked out of heaven. That's going to happen right, right around the time when the uh, sacrifices are stopped. And then he's going to go after the assembly of the true people of God. And some of them will be protected and some of them won't. Th those that aren't protected, he's going to go after and it says that he has a short time, and the Bible defines that short time as a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. And then in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about the beast. And the same period, which is defined in different numbers, 42 months, the beast will be allowed to rule. And so we have Revelations chapter 10, 11, and 12. At Revelation chapter 10 is telling you uh, what's going to uh, happen uh, in the days of the voice of the seven angel, but it also is talking about the, the tribulation period. Uh, Revelation 10, 11, and 12, and 13 are all talking about the tribulation period. All right, so Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 is interesting. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, the 144,000 was spoken of in Revelation chapter 7. And the Bible interpretation, I know there's many books and articles written and so forth, but the Bible's interpretation tells you that it's the children of Israel. Okay, so 12,000 of each tribe. So that's what your Bible says the 144,000 are. All right? And they had the Father's name written in their foreheads. Verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice now... Some people think that Mount Zion is referring to the Mount Zion on the earth, talking about the heavenly Mount Zion in heaven, which uh, is revealed in Hebrews, uh, that there is a heavenly Jerusalem. Let's go there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, But you are coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. 
So we know that there's a heavenly uh, Mount Zion and, and an earthly Mount Zion. And interestingly, when you type in Mount Zion for the New Testament, only this scripture comes up, Hebrews 12, verse 22, and the Revelation scripture here, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. All right, so in verse 3, And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. So it's saying, And I heard a voice from heaven, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of great thunders. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And so these are, these are beings here singing before the throne of God. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So it says no man can learn that song, uh, but the 144,000 that were redeemed from the earth. So that gives you a clue here that perhaps the 144,000 here uh, are being spoken of here by, by the throne. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whatsoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So the 144,000 are defined as the first fruits, or part of the first fruits anyway, unto God and to the Lamb. Um, verse 5, And in their mouth is found no guile, for they are without the throne of God. Okay, so um, verse 5 says, And in their mouth is found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So this is saying, obviously, that they're before the throne of God. Uh, verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, in the middle of, of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. Verse 7, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And so I want to stop here. Um, this angel, and it's been some ridiculous interpretations. It says he has the everlasting gospel. That that's what it is. The everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every nation, kindred and tongue and people. Now hold your place here because one of the things I want to explain to you is this preaching of the gospel. Uh Matthew chapter twenty four. This has really been understood by a lot of preachers. Uh Matthew chapter twenty four verse fourteen and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Now, this is, this is uh, interesting because in Revelation chapter 11, what happens? At the start of the tribulation, he raises up two witnesses. Now, um, biblically, they could be referring to two men and two assemblies, okay? Uh, it says, in this gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. So the witnesses have something to do with preaching the gospel unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And I did explain in, in an earlier program that in Revelation chapter 11, the whole world heard the two witnesses' message. Okay, so the gospel was preached around the world through them. But he said, then shall the end come. And then he goes into detail on on the, the trigger that will bring the end, which is the, the abomination and desolation of verse 15. But in verse 14, many ministers have incorrectly preached uh, that, oh, I've preached the gospel around the world. Well, if you preached the gospel around the world, the end would have come already. Okay, and, and the end hasn't come yet. So we know that the gospel has not been preached around the world. So let's, let's pay attention to what the Bible says. Number two, based on the Joshua Project, I think .net, you can type that up in there, um, 
the gospel, actually, matter of fact, I'll just type it in now. Let me see. The Joshua Project. Project. JoshuaProject.net. Um, the, the purpose of this website is to show you how many people have truly um, have truly um, heard of the gospel of Jesus himself. And it, it reveals here, uh, they read this on his website, but it reveals here that... <clears throat> that over 2 billion people have not heard of Jesus or, or the message of, of the gospel. And so, and then of the 4 billion people that have heard what they think is the gospel, they've only heard one part of it. Well, Jesus saved mankind, right? Or through the shed blood of Christ, the death penalty has been removed to give mankind an opportunity to have eternal life. Well, that's one part of the story. They haven't heard of the Jewish gospel, the true gospel, that not only talks about Yeshua, but also that a literal kingdom will be set up on this earth. They haven't heard that message. And so, really, the, the, the gospel, the true Jewish gospel of the kingdom, has not been preached for several years, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's um, yeah, I just clicked on, you look at the global statistics here, all people groups by Christian evangelical population. Uh, unreached is 42%. Uh, unreached people groups, uh, over 2 billion people, it's, it's approaching 3 billion people. Unreached people groups is 2.85 billion people. Uh, that's, that's a lot of people, folks. And it says all people groups that have been reached is uh, 4.65 billion people, but 2.85 billion, which is a significance, almost 3 billion people, have not been reached with the message. And so who's going to do that work? Who's going to do that work? Well, the two witnesses are going to preach the gospel around the world, and they, you remember now they, they're going to be murdered uh, and then resurrected uh, right around the seven Trump. But before that, before that seven trump is sound, this is what happens in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Because remember, in Revelation chapter 9, it stopped at the sixth trumpet. Okay, so the seventh trumpet has not sounded yet. All right, I want you to understand that. And so that we're in that context right now. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, and this is before the seventh trump, it's going to sound. And I saw another, oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm teaching you wrong here. The seventh trump has already been sounded, okay, in Revelation chapter 11. In Revelation chapter 11, it, it reveals to you the seventh trump sounding, okay? I apologize. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, it ends at the sixth trumpet. Revelation chapter 10, it, it talks about before the sounding of the seventh trump. All right, and... But in Revelation chapter 11, it goes all the way to uh, the seven trump sounding, all right? And when the seven trump sounds, that's when uh, the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. All right, so in Revelation chapter 9, uh, you, 
it, it stops at the sixth trumpet, the sixth angel, and then Revelation chapter 10, there's a break, and it talks about uh, some events occurring before the sounding of the seventh trump, and then Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trump sounded. Uh, and then Revelation chapter 12, it talks about events that's going to trigger the tribulation, and in Revelation chapter 13, it reveals that. All right, so sorry, I, I, sorry if I confused you there. All right, so getting back to Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, he says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, and people. And so this is after the seventh trump has sounded, and you had this angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So this is after the seventh trump has sounded. And it was announced that the kingdoms of this world had become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's found in Revelation 11, verse 15. And in Re uh, Revelation 14, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So the hour of his judgment, as you're going to see here, is referring to the seven last vials, the seven plagues that's going to be executed upon the earth. Verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So this angel, this is a last warning to existing mankind before these seven vials are thrown out upon the earth, which fills up the wrath of God. Revelation 14, verse 9, And the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead and on his hand, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. It's talking about the seven last plagues. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. The smoke, not them, but the smoke of their torment. Forever and ever means the ages of the ages. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image. And whoever rests, Received the mark of his name. They're not going to have any rest in anything because they won't even exist. Uh, Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and the faith, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, which means that we must keep the commandments. Verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, in verse 14. Of Revelation chapter 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So this is another picture of Revelation 11, verse 15. Okay, this is showing you his second coming. Verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So this is picturing the first resurrection, symbolically. Verse 16. And he that sat on the cloud, thrusting the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped, reaped of the first fruits. Verse 17. And another angel came out. This is a different type of uh, harvesting here, uh, starting in verse 17. And, an, an, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the, her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in the sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, 
and cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God, which is pictures again of these seven vials. Verse 20, and the winepress, you're going to see that here in Revelation 15. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse bridles by the space of 1,600 forloins. So it's talking about a bunch of blood. It's picturing the battle of Armageddon when the Messiah lands his feet on the Mount of Olives after the seventh vial is thrown out. So in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Okay, so the seven last plagues fill up the wrath of God. Verse 2, and I saw this happens after the seventh trump has sounded, which is revealed in Revelation 11, verse 15. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. Remember, you have seven seals. The seventh seal initiates the seven trumpets. The seventh trump initiates the seven plagues. Verse 2, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. So it's telling you that the people of God that that have been changed, the spirit beings here, are on the sea of glass. Now, and they're having the harps of God. Now, what is this sea of glass? Well, let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We'll tell you what this sea of glass is. And Revelation chapter 4 reveals to you the, the glory of God. And I'm still trying to find the scripture where it talks about the sea of glass. Let me do a quick search here. Okay, Revelation 4, verse 6, it says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around about the throne four beasts full of eyes and behind. So we know that, first of all, this vision is a vision from heaven. Revelation 15, verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven. Okay, so all this, in this chapter, the vision is in heaven. And... In verse 2, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, so we know the sea of glass is by God's throne. And them that had gotten the victory over his beast, over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the hearts of God. Obviously, this is the glorified assembly before the throne of God. Verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways. Thou king of saints. So when, when the assembly, the first fruits are resurrected along with uh, all those that um, had the spirit of Messiah in Old Testament times, they are going to go to the throne room of heaven. They're going to be on this sea of glass. And they're going to praise the Father and the Son in heaven along with the angels. Um, now they're in heaven while these um, vials are going to be executed upon the earth. Verse 4, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art, only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Verse 5, 
And after that I looked, and behold, the temple, the tabernacle, the testimony in heaven was open. So this temple, there's a temple in heaven, and the temple is open. All this is occurring in heaven. Verse 6, And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Verse 7, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God. And so the seven golden vials, these seven plagues, are full of the wrath of God. This is the wrath that we will escape. Not the tribulation wrath, but the wrath of God, which is the seven vials. Verse 8, And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man and no one was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And so... It's not telling us that we won't be able to enter into the Father's home, which is his temple, okay? Uh, for proof of that, Psalm 11, Psalm 11, Psalm 11, verse 4, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids, the children of men. And then... And Matthew 5, verse 34. Matthew 5, verse 34. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So whenever you see God's throne in the book of Revelation, it's talking about heaven in most cases. Until, of course, uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, when he brings heaven to earth after the 1,000 years, which we'll talk about that some other time. But anyway. All right, so. Getting back to Revelation here, uh, and the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple, so the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So Revelation chapter 16, which we're going to get into next week, will talk about all the vials on the earth. And you'll notice that at the end of Revelation chapter 16, uh, it describes the last vial, and then uh, Revelation 17 there's a stoppage in, in the story, and it talks about, gives you more revelation about who the beast is, uh, the geopolitical beast. And Revelation chapter 18 gives you uh, detail uh, of the destruction of Babylon. And then Revelation 19 picks back up with the story after the seven vials have been thrown. And it, it reveals to you the Lord coming back with the angels or, or the angels and the armies of heaven, which will be us. Uh, the the first fruits. Okay, so uh, that is what I'm going to talk about here in in the weeks, God willing. And so to go over this again, because I don't want to confuse you. Revelation chapter nine ends with the sixth angel or the or the sixth uh, trumpet, and then there's a stoppage in the story flow. Revelation chapter ten talks about uh, what's going to happen during. When the, uh, when the seven angels about to sound. And I went over that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. And then Revelation chapter 11 talks about the beginning of the tribulation, the two witnesses and their preaching around the world, their gospel, and then their execution, and then their resurrection. And this uh, is talking about the tribulation period, and, and then also is talking about uh, everything occurring leading up to the sounding of the seven trumpet, it describes the sounding of the seven trumpet there. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. 
Uh, that's the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Is uh, it does reveal there that that is the, also the time of the dead. And then what's interesting too? Let's go to Revelation chapter eleven. Revelation chapter eleven, verse nineteen is enter. And the temple of God, which where that's where God dwells, right, was open in heaven. And so the seventh trump also is symbolic of the fact that. The fathers will be literally accessible to the glorified assembly. And the temple of God was open in heaven. And there was seen in this temple the Ark of His Testament. There were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and a great hail. And that's where um, there is a rapture. It happens at the seventh trumpet. And that's when the time of the dead will occur. They will be resurrected and they will be uh, visiting the Father in heaven and the Son. Uh, the Son is going to take them there because he says you can't, you can't come to the Father unless through me. Well, they're going to literally come to the Father now. Revelation, well, let me, let me read uh, Revelation 11, verse 18. How much time do I have left? Two minutes. It says, and the nations were angry and thy wrath has come. So what's, what's the wrath? His wrath is the seven vows. That's the Bible interpretation there. Because after the seven trump, you have the seven vows. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and that thou should destroy them which shall destroy the earth. And verse 19, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. And where that's where God's throne dwells at, right? The temple, in his temple. And there was seen in this temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So it's open. It's not closed anymore, folks. So um, I hope you understand that. I know it's pretty deep. But uh, if you have God's spirit, even you can understand even the deep things of God. All right. So may Yah bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs>